Well, here we are in the final Sunday of the year, and 2020 certainly is quite the year to look back on, isn't it? Of course, I'm not sure many of us will look back on it very fondly when we finally get to the end of it. I know I am one of many who are looking forward to, hoping that turning the page to 2021 will be the start of something new, a real break from the extended limbo or whatever you want to call 2020. A new year is, of course, kind of an arbitrary marker of the passing of time, But for many of us, even so, it provides a chance to look back and to look forward, to reflect and to hope, to ask a pair of questions. Who have I been and who do I hope to be? Or maybe a different way of putting it, who should I be going forward? And usually our answers to those questions don't lead to wild departures from where we were, or if they do, they're particularly short-lived like the college student whose decision to reinvent themselves and their personality now that they're off on their own and have a chance at a new beginning, and then they find out pretty quickly that they still are basically who they are, even in a new environment. Usually our reflections at the turning of a new calendar page don't lead to wild sweeping changes. Usually they are a recommitment to be who we wanted to be all along, to return to the values and virtues that we really do deep down wish we were living by. As we continue our time in the Gospel of Matthew, asking what Matthew saw about Jesus, we are reading a gospel that's written to a small community of Jesus followers, Christians who found themselves caught between the past and the future. Matthew's original readers were mostly Jewish, we believe, and were probably trying to keep living as Jewish Christians, a part of the local synagogue and the ethnic community that had been their family, economic, and social ties for their whole lives. If you listen to the Intro to Matthew backdrop episode, I read this quote from a scholar who describes the dynamic for these first Christians. Matthew writes to Jewish Christians who, in addition to being a part of their assemblies as believers in Jesus, are fighting to remain part of their local synagogue communities as well. Modern scholars sometimes leave the impression that a Jewish believer in Jesus could leave Judaism as easily as a person can today leave, let's say, the Methodist church for the Episcopalian. But to leave Judaism meant to move from one society to another. It involved the painful severing not only of family and cultic or religious ties, but being cut off from the whole life of a community upon which one was socially and economically dependent. That's a big deal. But Matthew's readers were increasingly unwelcome in that Jewish community, because they kept talking about this Jesus being the Son of God and living according to the teachings of this Jesus, and that meant for them a very uncertain future. Who have they been? Who should they be going forward? Matthew is, as we will see, writing this gospel, at least in part, to address exactly those questions. Who have we been as God's people? Who should we be going forward? We've seen in the first chapters Uh, Matthew telling of a new king who has been born, and then announcing that the kingdom of God has arrived, calling for people to repent, to return to trusting God instead of other things for their protection and provision. And then in chapter 5, Jesus goes up on a mountain, we're told, sits down in the posture that a rabbi would take in those days, and begins to teach. What Matthew saw was a new Moses going up on the mountain. And if you remember that story from Exodus, you can see so many parallels here too. The Israelites had just been freed from Egypt and Moses goes up on the mountain to get instructions from God about who this newly freed people should be going forward. What values and virtues would they embody in their communal life? 
and the instructions he gets, often called law, but it could just as easily be translated teaching or instruction, they weren't a radical departure from the past. They were a call for the people to be who they were supposed to be all along. The people of God who reflect God's goodness and justice in the midst of a world of selfishness and oppression. God's instructions were intended to shape this newly freed people to be the people they were always intended to be for the sake of the world. And so when Matthew says that Jesus went up on a mountain to teach, this would have been the expectation. It's the callback that would have been in people's minds. For Matthew's readers, they would have eagerly turned the page. Okay, we're ready to move into this new future as a newly formed people. Who should we be? When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These words are the beginning of this new teaching that Jesus is bringing, except it's not all that new after all. It is a message of returning to be who you were supposed to be all along. That's not how the Beatitudes, as they're sometimes called, after the Latin word for blessing, that's not how they have often been interpreted. Certain of the more liberal traditions have seen these as nice humanistic wisdom, virtues that, if we live by them, would make the world a better place. Certain from the Reformed tradition have seen them as intentionally impossible ideals, commands so lofty and perfect that we will inevitably fail as sinners as we are and see in that failure our need for God's grace with the added bonus being that we don't actually have to try and live by them at all. But these Beatitudes are neither of those things. Not really. Isaiah 61, a passage Jesus stands up and reads in the synagogue in Luke's gospel, it starts like this. See if you hear any similarities. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me and has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. That word oppressed in the Hebrew of Isaiah could be translated into Greek as poor in spirit. And good news is one of the ways the Greek word for blessed could be understood. In other words, the first beatitude is basically a direct quote of Isaiah 61 verse 1. And by the way, it can mean both economically poor, which is how Luke writes it, and poor in the spirit, as Matthew writes it, in the sense of being oppressed. N.T. Wright notes that the bigger point here is not whether it's economics or personality or something like that. It's that the people Jesus is talking about and that Isaiah was talking about are the powerless as opposed to the powerful. And the powerless tend to be poor in more than one sense in most cultures, just like this word indicates. So that's the first beatitude. And just to show that quoting Isaiah isn't an accident, Isaiah 61 verse 2 goes on to say, to comfort all who mourn. So there's beatitude number two. Isaiah 61 is also one of many, many Old Testament passages that I could mention that say something about God's people longing for 
and working for God's righteousness or justice, as the word also could be translated. So there's Beatitude 4. Then Psalm 37 verse 11 says this, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. So there's Beatitude number 3. And it's important to note that in that psalm that Jesus is quoting, Psalm 37, the meek are not contrasted with the bold or the charismatic or some uh, personality trait of the opposite of timidity. Instead, they are contrasted with the wicked. Meekness is the opposite of wickedness in Psalm 37. Meekness, in other words, is the humbleness of those who fully rely on and trust in God. It's not some timid personality trait. It's a humbleness that Paul points out in Philippians is most fully exemplified in the person of Jesus. Not, again, because he is timid. (laughs) There's not a lot of timid Jesus in Matthew's gospel, as we will see over the coming weeks. Jesus is not a shrinking violet. Instead, it is humility seen in the way that Jesus willingly gives up power, gives up his rightful title and position at the right hand of God, and comes to be a lowly human, God with us. That's what meekness looks like. Moving on then, Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. A clean or pure heart doesn't just mean not thinking bad thoughts or something. It's a pure heart in the sense of undiluted. It's undivided in your devotion to and trust in God. It is seeking fully after God and putting our trust there. And as Jesus tells us, those who seek will find. And then, similar to meekness, the attributes of mercy and peacemaking, they're found throughout the Old Testament as descriptions of who God is. God is merciful. God is peacemaker. And they are also then used to describe how God's people are supposed to reflect God's character to the world. And then finally, if you were with us for Jeremiah, then you know what Jesus is referring to in the final words about persecution, that those who most trust in God often find opposition from the powerful. It's in fact exactly the situation that Matthew's readers might have been facing themselves. So when we consider this context, the Old Testament background in particular, The Beatitudes aren't airy wisdom about good ways to live. They aren't impossible ideals. They are the virtues of the community of God's people who are working to be who they were supposed to be all along. They are the same virtues that Israel was supposed to exhibit in the Old Testament. Matthew saw the new people of God picking up right where the old people of God left off. Or, more accurately, Matthew saw that there isn't a new or old people of God, really, There is just one mission, one people, one set of virtues that reflect who Yahweh is to the world from beginning to end. So as followers of Jesus, these are the virtues that we too should display. Virtues that show the world who Jesus is. Meredith and my old ethics professor, Glenn Stassen, calls them kingdom ethics or kingdom virtues. The behaviors and attitudes that come from living as a part of God's kingdom. But there are a couple more things that need to be said here. First, Stanley Hauerwas makes the point that we are making a fundamental mistake when we read these individualistically. I am not being told to be humble or poor in spirit or merciful. We 
are being told to be a community that reflects these virtues and values. Moses brought the Torah down to form a new people. Jesus went up the mountain to reform that same people. It is in our collective reflection of the kingdom of God that the world sees who God is supposed to be, who God is. My own individual performance of these values is at best secondary to that. And at worst, it's a distraction from what this passage is supposed to be pointing us towards in the first place. Second, our response to all this is not to try harder to be merciful or purer in heart. Glenn Stassen and David Gushy in their book, Kingdom Ethics, which Meredith and I would highly recommend. It's a bit on the academic side, but it's not oppressively academic. And it is a really fantastic uh, book about how to live in a contemporary world according to these kingdom values. They use the Sermon on the Mount in particular to explore that uh, idea. But they make the crucial point that the emphasis in the Beatitudes is not on the first half of each statement. It's on the last half. The point is not what we are doing. The point is what God is doing. What God is doing to deliver and bring salvation to those who are part of the kingdom. The full passage of Isaiah helps illuminate this. And it goes like this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me and has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh to display God's glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. In other words, God is bringing salvation to God's people at last. The beatitude should be summed up not as try harder to be a part of the kingdom, but instead good news for those who are a part of the kingdom because God is working to save and deliver you. And this is, is the crucial point. Matthew's readers were, as God's people always find themselves, in a world where their way of living looked like foolishness. Their trust in God seemed silly as compared to all the other idols that people look to for fulfillment and prosperity and protection. And Jesus is saying in these passages, good news, you aren't fools. The kingdom and the blessings of the kingdom will be yours. God can be trusted. So double down on trusting in God. Double down on being a community that lives according to kingdom virtues, inviting the world to join in with you because God's salvation is coming.